Praise the Lord. Amen. We are so blessed to be able to worship like that every week. Thank you, Bronwyn. Choir, Pastor Steve, and band. Well, praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. It's so good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I love preaching. It's, I love doing that. I love coming in and being able to be with you and open God's Word. And, and I love that I'm able to come uh, with a staff that is, that is pouring into the next generation uh, and I'm excited to talk about Amos today because God has something to say to you. And we're going to look at the book of Amos, and it's such a powerful book. And I got to sit with the big boss today, or this week. I got to go in with Pastor Rick, and he said, come on in, little one. Let me teach you about the, let me teach you about the Word of God. And those are, those are good moments when you can sit with your pastor, and he can pour into you. So, guys, are you ready for a message? I'm ready to give this message. I want to start this message uh, with five questions, five questions to kind of get us going this morning thinking about this. So here's my first question. Do you ever hear the word of God preached like a raging fire only to get up and walk out dragging your sins behind you? A raging fire. Yes, I have a blowtorch. It's going to be a good day. I'm going to put this right here. We'll come back to it. Don't be scared. We have trained professionals here, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> My second question, do you ever come into church, or do you come in every Sunday feeling like you're literally chained to habits, literally chained to habits that you want to be freed from, but it seems like you leave every, every week still bound in those chains, in bondage, wanting freedom? Think about that today. My third question is, do you ever measure your life your actions, your thoughts against God's expectations. I'm talking about taking, as God's people, a serious look at what God is saying in the word of God, in his word, and actually looking at our own lives and measuring it up, measuring our actions and our thoughts and our minds and what we do in comparison to what God really wants us to do as his children. I'm building something, as you see. We'll come back to that. My fourth question is, are you just tired of sin? Are you tired of it? And my fifth question is, are you ever scared that someone will find out about the sin that you're trying to cover up? These are real questions by real Christians that, faith, that, that people in God's church face week in and week out. And I pray that by God's power and by his strength and by the power of the Holy Spirit that he would really kind of come in here today and just look at our hearts and we will have an honest conversation with his word and an honest conversation with each other and we will ask God to do something that only God can do. So that's what we're going to do today. And if you answered yes to any of those questions, you're not going to like the book of Amos you're not going to like it, because the book of Amos is like Buckley's cough medicine. Their tagline, it tastes awful, but it works. The book of Amos, it sounds awful, but if we take to heart the things that are in this word, in this book today, it works. It works. Are you ready? Let's get started. God is angry, and he is going to express his anger and we have a powerful nine chapters that teach us about the character of, character of God and his expectations for us as followers. And if you're a Christian, and I'm talking about the saved, re, the ones who are saved by the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, and you're living 
like literally living today in disobedience to his law and standards, this sermon will, br- will have some pressure on your life. This, this sermon will bring some pressure. You're going to feel it today. Because as we look at the book, uh, the book begins like this. It begins with a lion's roar. I don't know if you've ever heard a lion roar in person. It is loud. If you ever want to hear a lion roaring, we, we got a firsthand connection. We can get you hooked up with Graydon. I'm pretty sure he has lions in his backyard. But a lion's roar, it's so powerful. And we begin the book of Amos with Amos 1-2, uh, that the lion's roar is so powerful that it withers fertile pastures. Think of springs coming, you got a green grass, it's all good, and then in an instant it's turned, it's black. This is the power of God. Yahweh was coming from Zion to judge the nations for their rebellion against the creator of the earth. No one can escape the fire of judgment, including the northern kingdom. And much to Israel's horror, they were going to be the primary object of destruction on the day of the Lord because they have have offended him more than all the other nations. Why is God so angry? We're going to ask that question, but first let's pray. God, as we gather today in the name of Jesus Christ, all of us have come from different parts of the city to gather as one body under one truth, under one God. And we pray today, God, as you look down from heaven and you see this church, you see our lives, God, will you allow us to get real, get serious with you this morning? I pray that you would bring, bring to heart those things that we are doing that put a wedge between your truth, your grace, your mercy, your spirit, and our lives so that we can deal with that today. I pray because of the book of Amos that we would draw closer to you. Thank you for giving us this book. We look forward to the power that you will demonstrate in our lives when we're real. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what is going on? Why is God so angry? Well, we, we begin this book with this man named Amos. Now, Amos is no prophet. He's a shepherd. He's a shepherd, and he dresses fig trees. That's his job description. He, he, he deals with sheep, and he dresses fig trees. He is not a trained prophet, and he was called by God to go speak to the chosen people of northern Israel. And this Man, Amos, he's a tell-it-like-it-is kind of guy. I don't know if you have any of those people in your life, but he's just tell-it-like-it-is, plain Jane. He's the type of guy that will come up to you and say, hey, you got food in your teeth. He's the kind of guy that when you're, you're having a conversation and your, your cell phone's ringing and you just want it to go to voicemail, he'd be like, hey, can I see your phone? And he'll answer it and be like, yeah, they're here. They, you're trying to avoid that person and he's the one that says, no, talk to them. He's that kind of guy. And I believe that God wanted to use this type of guy because he wasn't a professionally trained prophet. He dealt with the dirt of life, the grime of life. He, was, he, he worked outside. He traveled. He fought off wildlife, and he got the job done. And God needed someone that in this season to get the job done that would just say what God wanted said to the people. So he chose this man named Amos. At the time that this book is written, there's a king who is ruling in the northern part of Israel, and his name was Jeroboam II, and he was a mighty military leader. And he won lots of battles, and he gained new territory for Israel and generated lots of wealth. But if you were to do a survey of the prophets of that time, they would say he's the worst king ever. 
He was the worst king ever. His wealth led to apathy, and he allowed idol worship of the gods of Canaan, which led to this injustice and neglect of the poor. See, the, the, the climate, the culture, it, it was very good at that time, as in affluent. There was, there was good stuff happening, and, and God's people who were called out to show the other nations that there is a God in heaven, they were not living like they were supposed to, and God was done with it. He was done with it. He's roaring like a lion, and Amos begins this trek up north to, to the surrounding kingdoms. And what is he doing? He's pronouncing judgment on them. Pronouncing judgment. When we open the book, we see in chapters 1 and 2 these judgments that are coming up. And, and God is done. He's done with the sins of the nations. They have reached their limit. We read special words like this in the Bible. For three sins, even four. When we really look at that, that's up to the limit wording. Up to the limit. The nations have filled their cups with sin, and now God is going to bring the hammer down. He's done. Nation after nation, God declared that he was not going to turn back his wrath. And we as Christians living in today's society, we can often read this book and we can say, oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. That's not like it now. That's the Old Testament God. New Testament God's completely different. It's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And sometimes as God's community, we will take an attribute like love and highlight it over all the other attributes of justice and holiness and just different things that God is about. I even read, I saw on Instagram this weekend that there was a church about our size and they had a, a, a facility like our size and up going up the stairs, they had this giant poster where it says, ours says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let, uh, let us exalt his name forever together. Theirs said, love over all things. Love over everything. Like, if you have sin in your life, that's okay. Just love over it. If you live a, a lifestyle outside of what God uh, is calling you to live, that's okay. Just love over everything. And I just, I think that's the culture of today. We take one attribute and we highlight it above the others. And God when it comes to his church, is going to call out our sin, our unconfessed sin, just as much as he's going to call out those ones outside of faith. He's going to hold us to it just as much as he's going to hold them to it. But here's the thing. Sometimes we, we think that God won't do that. That God won't hold us to anything. And sometimes we come into church and we think that we can outrun or outsmart or outlast God. But that's a dangerous game. You will not survive that. And that's what we find in the book of Amos. Beloved, I hope I have your attention this morning. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And there will be a time when each of us will stand before God. And he will say, what did you do with the warning? What did you do with the warning that was given to you? And I feel and I think and I've worked with Pastor Rick, and I believe that there are four themes that emerge from the book of Amos that will help, get our, get, help us get serious about God, get serious about our own personal lives, and get serious about what the church is called to do. So four themes that emerged. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on individual verses. I'm going to pull out different themes, and I'm going to give you verses, and you can look them up as you go. As we go. So why don't we start right now in the book of Amos. Let's get our Bibles open and start with Amos 3. Amos 3. 
Now, Amos 3 begins with this in chapter 1. He says this. He says, the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel. The Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel. We jump down to verse 8, and it says, the lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can prophesy? And the first theme that I see in this book is that Yahweh's, Yahweh has irresistible word. Yahweh's irresistible word. The word of God will accomplish all it is set out to do. It will accomplish all it's set out to do. See, his words are not like our words. See, when we speak, vibrations travel over our vocal cords, but when God speaks, the seas part. When God speaks, the earth is created. When God speaks, the dead rise. When God speaks, nations and people are born. When God speaks, they can be removed in accordance to his great will. See, the word of God will accomplish all it is set out to do. See, there is this tension that needs attention, and this tension is between the blessing and the pain of God's word. The blessing and the pain of God's word. See, we as, we as followers, we love the blessing part. Can I get an amen on that one? We love it when God says, hey, I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. God, I will, uh, or I will never, uh, I will forgive your sins. We're like, amen. Fred, where are you at on this? Leave me hanging here. We love it when God says, I will, I, will, uh, I will wipe every tear from your eye. There will be no more death. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. We say, amen. But let us be careful to read all of God's word because God highlights some things that really make him angry. And we as God's people do these things. And one of those things is when he appoints leaders and they're unfaithful to him. When he appoints leaders who just take the Bible and twist it. When they start to make their own pathway. When they start to justify their own decisions by what God did not say. But they, it's almost there, but they do that. God does not like that. He does not like unfaithful leaders. That's one thing. Another thing is God does not like when his children dabble in the world and then justify it. Dabble in the world and then justify it. He does not like that. He also doesn't like when we, we look out into our community and we see the poor and the marginalized being attacked and we as God's people who have been called out of darkness into marvelous light do nothing about it. He doesn't like that. And he says, you who I love, do something. Do something about this. We all need to pay attention to God's word, and we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. And Amos is putting the Israelites on blast, and here's the cool part about this book. It was preserved in history so that we as God's people can gather together and we can look at it and we can read it, and we can see that God is not fooling around when it comes to his word. And what he says goes, not what we say. The Lord has spoken and his word will go out and it will accomplish all it, is, it has attended to do. See, we, not, we cannot hide from the word of God. We, can igno we cannot ignore the word of God. We cannot just close the book and hope he won't call, come calling. But we do that, right? 
Like, I'll come to church when I get my life right. I'll come to church when I feel like I have a handle on my sin. I'll come to church and I'll serve when my schedule really opens up and I have nothing else to do. He will come calling and say, remember my words that were spoken to you? Do you remember that day of salvation that took place where you said, Lord, I just want to lay down my life. Will you come and save me? Yeah, I remember that. I remember where you said, please be my God. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I love you. I'm calling you. I will be your God and you'll be my children. But then we sometimes forget that he comes with us through all things. And we don't just get to live our life on our own. We get to live our life with God. And God's word never goes out void. And if you've come into this building for the last month or more carrying your sin, you may want to remember this. God is not joking when it comes to his people and his word. He will accomplish his set purpose. And that sin that God brings to mind, so many times I've been in the pew under the under the amazing teaching of Pastor Rick, and he's preaching God's word, and the Holy Spirit is literally beating me in the face with things that I shouldn't be doing. Like, you better deal with this, Nick. I'm not going to let you go on this. So many times I've heard God's word preached in this room, and I felt so convicted. And there are always this option to be like, oh God, not right now. Like, not right now. I can't wait. I I can't deal with this right now. I'll deal with it later. And he says, don't do that. And even right now, God by the power of the Holy Spirit, could be bringing certain things to your mind that you haven't dealt with. And he's saying, today is the day. That sin that I'm bringing to mind, today is the day. Don't get to the point of three sins or of four, and I will not turn back my wrath. Amos is teaching us today to look serious at this book and see that those outside of faith, they're getting judgment. And we even do that as as followers. We go and share the word of God, do evangelism. We go out inside our community. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Oh, you don't. You don't have a personal relationship. You know that God is taking account of everything that we do, and he will call us into this account. And and if you don't have the righteousness of Jesus that covers your life, you're uh, going to have to face his judgment. But then we often forget that as followers who have that righteousness placed on our life, to do the very same thing to ourselves, to look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm, I've got a list of unconfessed sin in my life. Like, I got this list piling up, and I'm not dealing with it. I'm not talking about it. I'm not going to the Lord about it. I'm just letting it pile up. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, I'm telling you, as a friend, God does not like unconfessed sin because he has made a way for us to deal with it. So we're, one, neglecting what God wants to do in his word, and we're neglecting Jesus and his power and what he can do in our lives by just ignoring this. This is what we see in the book of Amos. He is teaching us this, that we we have to deal with the stuff that is going on in our life. We can't just ignore it. And it will be a huge mistake for you to hear God's word in the book of Amos, read it, and then walk out of here and not do anything about it. And I'll tell you why that is a huge mistake in, in my next three points. So let's get there. My next point, my next theme is Yahweh's sovereignty. Yahweh's th- sovereignty is a theme in the book. We see it in 1 verse 2, chapter 1 verse 2, chapter 3 verse 8, chapter 4 6 through 11. And if I'm going too fast, we do have the notes. You can get them at the office. Yahweh's sovereignty is present throughout the whole book of Amos. 
And we have to remember that God, we have, to, we have to justify this. We have to get this in our minds. We have to make sure that we know and understand this very clearly. Pastor Rick taught us this last week. That God is the supreme ruler over all things. Over creation. The nations. The calling of leaders. He's ruler over prosperity. And also judgment. It's all under his authority and direction. And we kid ourselves if we think that we are really in charge. And here's where the dangerous part comes in, and we see it in the book, is when things start to get going really well for us. Like maybe, I work with young adults a lot. We're, a lot of our young adults want to go to the next level. They want to be adults. Like, true, just forget the young. They just want to be adults. And they want to... They want to have a job, they want to work, they want to be married, they want to be doing life. And, and it's a slow build as we get going in life, but later on, we can actually get there. We can actually have a good job, we can get a house, we can get married, we can have all these things. And when those things all start to click together, we can begin to forget about the power of God and what he really wants for our lives. And God is going to highlight this in the book He's going to highlight this. This is why he's roaring angry. He uses Amos to talk to the, to the Israelites about this. He says, God, and he begins with their divided hearts. First their wealth, and then their attitudes. Look with me at chapter 3. Turn to chapter 3, verse 15. We can clearly see that they have some money. They have some money. Like the culture at this time was high class. This was upper class living for the Israelites. And we look there and we can see that they have winter houses and they have summer houses and they're adorned with ivory. Like they have great places to live. They have, they have great things going on. Their bank accounts are full. And what's happening here is God's calling him out and saying, you've removed your eyes off of me, your sovereign God, and put it on what's going on around you, your circumstantial faith, and everything looks secure. But really, it's not. It's not secure. He says, I'm going to tear down those houses. I'm going to tear down those houses. We also read in 7 and later on in the book that they had the choice meats and great drinks. And they, they were living high. Upper class people. But what they were failing to do was turn to the Lord. Help the poor. Help the unjust. That was happening. They were ignoring it. And God is angry about this. And the second thing that we see here is, I literally believe today, if this was happening today, we would have a reality show called The Real Housewives of Israel. <laughs> the Real Housewives of Israel. Because as you begin to read through this book, you're going to see God is, is angry. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Cows of Bashan. Could you imagine this? I call you in as the husband, uh, as the leader of your family, and I say, your wife is a cow. I asked the first service if I could do that, but <laughs> I think I would get punched in the face. You call my wife a cow? Amos comes out and says, your wife is a cow of Bashan, an upper class cow. And look what the word of God says. You are these upper class cows, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and then you say to your husband, bring me some drinks. Bring me some drinks. Let me put my feet up. We're living life well right here. Like, just bring, come wait on me. Come serve me. God says, you're forgetting. You serve me. I'm your king. 
And Amos goes and he tells them this. Bring us some drinks. The prophet calls them the cows of Bashan, calling these women upper-class cows. Then he goes on to say, hey, that's one thing, how you live and, and how, you, how you, your attitude towards the things that are going on. But I'm really going to come at you right now. And he addresses their heartless worship. He actually says in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, go to Bethel and sin. Go to Bethel and sin. God is not, it's such sarcasm here, right? Such sarcasm. God is really not saying go and sin. God doesn't want us to sin. He's just portraying what is happening. He says, there you go again, Israel. Go up and sin. Go up and bring your tithe. Go. Bring your sacrifice every morning. Your tithe. Your thank offering. Give that free will offering. And then go and boast about it. You Israelites, that's what you like to do, declares the Lord. His very sarcasm moment here is like, your heart is far from me. Your heart is far from me. You go and you do these things, you sacrifice. Are you even sacrificing to me? Do you even know me? The sovereign Lord, he is angry and he is roaring like a lion because the sins of self-indulgence and of false religion is running rampant in the family of God. And God begins to remind them of that truth. I'm trying to get your attention here, but you say, no thanks. No thanks, I got this. Because everything is good right now. My bank account is good. We got, we got a house. Cars are great. Got gas in the car. Fridge is full. My kids are doing good. I'm okay. No thanks, God. And we see this theme. God's the sovereign God. He's trying to get their attention. He goes in 4, 6 and, and verses following. He says, I gave you empty stomachs. He said, I gave you clean teeth. He said, I was interacting with your food. I was trying to take it away so you get, so you look up. He says, I, I go on and he says, I withheld the rain. God is sovereign over all these things. He, he says, people are wandering for drink. He says, I struck the gardens in the vineyards. I brought war upon you and you still do not return to me. You still don't, what, what do I have to do to get your attention to let you know that I am your God? Because I have anger building up and it's coming, but I want to give you grace at this moment, but you will not turn your eyes towards me. The I got this attitude set in. This book is a great reminder of the slow fade that happens in our life. We get comfortable and we say, oh God, God wouldn't do that. That's Old Testament God. Or I'm good, I got this. Or this moment when we're in a, a, a sketchy, sketchy season of our life and we'll say, oh, it's just, it's just a phase. It's just a phase. It'll be all right. It's just a phase. And God's really trying to say, hey, wake up. Turn to me. Talk to me. Talk to me. No, it will pass. I got this. Or this one. I can stop anytime I want. I can stop anytime I want. I'm in control. I got this. God says, you do not have this. And here's the application of this. Why do we do that? Why do we not pay attention to the things in our lives that, where God is clearly trying to get our attention? We know, oh, we know, but we ignore. We ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We ignore when God's word is just beating us over the head. And we, we get up, we walk out, and we, we continue to do us. And do you ever think the sovereign Lord would say that to us? To say the same things that he said to the Israelites? Like, hey, people of Calvary, your worship is a joke. Like, you talk about your sacrifice and your offerings, but your life 
in your life, you completely ignore me. Like, I know that the church is doing some. There's a small group of, of, of people in the church that are actually reaching out, but not all of you are doing that. There's over 1,700 people here. Would God actually say that to his people? No way. God wouldn't say that. Would God actually say, I see your life and I see your sin and the cup is filling up and you walk out the door and do it more? I'm slow to anger, but don't you test me. Would God even say that to a church? We would say no. But his word would say yes. Because in Revelations 3, verse 14, he wrote a letter to the church in Laodicea and it said this. These are the words of the amen the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation, sovereignty right there. I know your deeds. They are neither cold nor hot, and I wish you would either be one or the other. So, the, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you will cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. The church was in trouble and received a warning from the Lord. He would remove their lampstand if they didn't get their hearts right. Now each week, If we're honest, we commit sin against the Lord. We commit treason against the Lord. I commit treason against the Lord. And then as the week goes, we get our mindset on all kinds of things. And, and we can sometimes forget or get into the pattern of just living a certain way and just thinking that our lives don't matter. And then we come into our, our church gatherings on a Sunday and we think, oh, my personal sin doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt anyone. But when you come in here, God sees it. He sees it when you're at home, he sees it when you're here, and he sees your personal sin, and it does matter. So I wrote it on this piece of paper, my personal sins matter. And sometimes we really will think that our sin doesn't matter, but it does. When God looks down and he sees this, he sees that our personal sin is with us today. It's like we brought it in, chained up, sat down in the pew and put it right beside us. And I'm hoping when we get our chairs, we won't have room for this. Because it would be so packed because people are hearing the word of God. But we, we bring in and we got our chained all chained up. And it's there with us. And we never talked about it. We're ignoring it. We hope the preacher doesn't talk about this today kind of attitude. And our personal sin is right there. And then we get going through the week and, and we add more sin in. We add different sin. Maybe, maybe it's greed or lying or maybe we hate somebody or we're holding something against somebody or we have idolatry in our life or we're just not serving the Lord. And our sins, they, they mount up. And maybe you never even thought about this. Maybe you walked in today with a whole pile of sin that is unconfessed. And what does that result in? If we all come in carrying some, even one sin each, our collective sins, the church. God looks down from heaven and he sees all of us together, together, raising our voice, but he also sees that whole collection of sin that is here. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy picture to think about, that God can see the invisible. He can see the trespass. 
And sometimes our response is we remove the pastor, we remove the prophet, we remove the shepherd, and fill the pulpit with people who will not teach the truth. The Word of God actually says that later on there will be people who will come in who will speak to the, speak to the congregation who, who want to hear only things that they want to hear. These itchy ear people. And churches all over North America do that very thing. Where does this come from? Well, it's biblical. We actually see this in the book of Amos. Amos 7, verse 10. Amaziah is a prophet, and he runs to King Jeroboam, and he says, hey, Amos is here, and he's speaking all these curses against the people. You better do something. We keep reading. Amaziah goes, Amos, we don't want you here. You go back to where you're, you're from. I got this under control. Even though they have a prophet that's not speaking anything towards the people, they're not helping the people. They're not helping the people turn from their wicked ways and trust in the Lord. He's not doing any of that. So this is a biblical thing. And when it comes down to it, the people of God will actually change. They'll either change or they will remove the people who are speaking on behalf of God. But there's an issue with that. Just because you remove a shepherd doesn't mean that you're off the hook with God. You see, we can't hide these things from our sovereign king. And we read the book of Amos and we ask the question, why is God so upset? Well, that leads me to my next theme. Yahweh's elect. Yahweh's elect. In verse 2, 9 through 11, 3, 1 to 2, 8, 7. What a privilege it is to be graced by God. To say that we are the children of the living God, that we are ambassadors of the sovereign king. Our actions as children of God should bring honor to him. Our lives dealing with outsiders should reflect his character. When we hear people saying, I hate Christians because of their sh- how shady they are, that's a concern. Or when we meet, like, local esta- meet staff in local establishments and we f- they find out that we're, we're followers of Christ and we're talking to them and say, hey, how can we pray for your family? How can we bless you? And they say, you're a Christian? Like, yeah, we're Christians. I've never met a Christian, a Christian like you. And I say, what do you mean? Well, Christians are impatient. They're rude. They don't leave a tip. They give me a scripture verse for a tip. Like, for us to discredit God is outrageous when we think about God's elect. To be part of the elect means that we are called out and we are justified, considered not guilty before the throne of God. We are covered in the righteousness of Jesus who lived a perfect life so that we would not have to taste death. We are in a privileged position to set, here it is, to set the tone for right living for our children, for our community, and for each other. In our ambassador positions, we want to see how close, though. This is our thing. We want to see how close we can get to the line. So here's the line that God has said. I'll I'll put it way over here. Uh, Right here, here's the line. This is the line, like, do not cross this line. Don't step on it. But we as Christians, we'll come in and we'll, get, we'll run and we'll stop. Oh, how close can I get to the line so that I won't be called out? So I won't lose my position of status. So I won't be considered a sinner. I get right to the line. Why do we do that? God's people who have been called by his name should be way over here. Living in such a way that the other people on that side, they say, hey, your life is completely different. Why? Jesus. Jesus, that's why. But uh, often, this is where we're hanging out. We're just here. 
We're like parking our cars here. We're parking our marriages here. We're parking our children here. We're just right on this line. The danger is we step over it. We do step over it. And God says, I see. When you step over it, you don't run to me. You just forget and walk away. See, the privilege is being called out to a special relationship as God's family. When we are called out, it brings an expectation that we will bring honor and glory to God by how we live our lives. You will have to focus on God's instruction. You will have to listen to his Holy Spirit. You will, you will trust that Jesus is interceding for you and he is able to fully save the elect. And the book of Amos is giving the warning to those called out ones who want to live their life claiming this special position of the elect but living in disobedience. The ones who think God doesn't care about my unconfessed sin. Hey, I said the salvation's prayer. We did that thing. Like, you remember when I prayed and you did that thing and uh, then they told me that I was saved? Like, we did that thing. Like, you owe me now, right? You leave me. We would never say that, but we live that way. Like, I'm one of God's people and he has to do everything I say. No, we are, we are under God's grace and we do what he says. We do that. And the book of Amos is telling about us about that. And he says, I am, I am upset with your life. I am upset with the way you're living. And that leads me to my last theme. Yahweh's rejection of their lifestyle. Yahweh will reject the way we live. If it's outside of what he wants, he will reject that. And we can see this in the book. The elect, the chosen family of God, the sovereign king, brought them out of Egypt. I think, put myself in there. God brought me out of darkness into marvelous light by the power of Jesus. And those people and us sometimes, we say no to every area that God wants to lead us in. And if you go through this book, it is very convincing. I'm going to go through this next part really fast. It's on the sheet. But Pastor Rick taught me this this week. He said, Nick, look at this stuff. He says, this is how they were living. They were enslaving countrymen for petty debts. Verses 2, 6, chapter 2, verse 6, 8, 6. Perverting justice to the unprivileged. 2, 7, and 8. There was incest happening in the family of God. 2, verse 7. There was harsh taxation. 2, verse 8, 3, 10, 5, 11. Persecuting righteous prophets. 2, 12, 3, 8, 7, and 12. Living high on the backs of the poor. 4, 1, 6, 1 through 6, they were ignoring warnings and disasters. God was trying to get their attention, and they just kept ignoring it. Four, chapter 4, 6 through 11, there was some insincere worship. Go and sin and just brag about it. 5, 4 through 5, they were resting in military might. 3, 11, 6, 2, and they were enjoying covenant privilege without regard to covenant responsibility. And we can open these pages and we can read about God's people doing the, that stuff. And we can say, hey, that's not us though. The ones who were supposed to be showing the nations the true heart of God was hurting, they were hindering, and they were not helping the ones God cared so much for. And God will not let his name be discredited. So he was going to bring judgment upon the nations. And when he came to Israel, the ones who knew better, they were really going to get it. And there is a great danger of our church becoming complacent. We begin to fight about the things that are not that, very, not that important. They're outside of what God cares about. 
We begin to align our lives like the lives of the Israelites who lived in the northern Israel. We care more about our homes or our vacations or our bank accounts more than the injustice that is happening in our schools, in our communities, in our, in our courts. Like as God's people, we need to say something and a, and a repost of a Facebook or a retweet is not going to cut it. God has asked us to stand on the forefront for him. We need to fight about the things that God cares about. Or one day we're going to look up and we're going to see that our culture is very far away from what we believe. And it's getting there. Then one day we're going to realize that we personally are very far from God. Because we are allowing the sin to amount up. We're not dealing with it. We're not trusting in the Holy Spirit. And we're just living on our own when Jesus is saying, Hey, I'm here at the right hand of the Father for you. I love you. Come and talk to me. We'll deal with this right now. If we keep making personal compromises with sin, you better believe that God will come knocking on our doors. God promised judgment that would come upon the Israelites. And 40 years later, the Assyrians came in. Just like he said, his word is true. His promises are true. And what he says goes. The book of Amos is a scary book for those who know the Lord, a part of the elect, and living disobedient wild lives. So as I end, what do we do? As a church, what do we do? If you've heard this message, do we come together today and we say, God, we know that you're listening. We want to, we want to repent. We want to confess and repent. We want to give that up to you. Or do we get up and we say, yeah, yeah, we've heard it all before. God hates sin, but my sin is not that bad. But the reality is your sin is very bad. Even if it's just one, Jesus had to come and die for it. And unconfessed sin, catch this, unconfessed sin is a hindrance to the advancement of the kingdom of God. Your unconfessed sin, my unconfessed sin could be holding back the plans of God for Calvary. And we are in this together. You are not alone in this church. You are part of a body. We are part of a body under one God, under one truth. We do this together. And we come in with our personal sin thinking it doesn't matter, it matters. And when we keep doing it and then we collect it and we all come in together, there's a huge mess that God sees. But we can lay it all down today. Like there is this verse that is deep in my heart that says, if, you, if my people, I can't shake this. And I actually had someone come up to me this morning and said, I'm with you, pastor. It says, if my people were called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I would hear from heaven, I would forgive their sin, and I would heal their land. I'm telling you, the government is not going to do it. Pastor Rick was right. It was, it's us with clean lives before the throne, responding in God's word, moving forward, that will change the culture, change our church, change our children's lives. That's what will happen. Our mouths need to cry out in confession and repentance. And I love this. God will hear our prayers. And God is like a raging fire. Like God, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And it's like this. It's like this. Whoa, there we go. I, I, bought a I brought a blowtorch to church because you need to listen. Can you hear it? When we come together on a Sunday morning and we come together as God's people and we say, God, we want to take a moment and we just want to 
lift up our lives to you. We want to say with our mouths, God, I am a sinner. I have sin in my life. God, I have not dealt with it. Will you come? Will you forgive me of this sin? My personal sin. God comes like a raging fire like this. And it is gone. That is the, that is the God we're dealing with. Mighty power. And then as we go through our weeks, our personal sin is dealt with. We come in. It's gone. Here's the coolest part. Like we have come in here today and we came in chained. We came in with our sin that we've been dealing with that we haven't talked to God about. It's just building up in our lives. And God looks down from heaven and sees us as a collective body with a ton of grossness that is there. And he will take it away. That is the power of our God. Listen to that power. This is just a blowtorch. Imagine if God really, really, really just ripped off the roof with his power. We'd be terrified. But thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus who, who is listening, who is, who is standing on our behalf. So I ask God to search our hearts this morning and that we would just take a moment and confess our sin with him. Like I'm not telling you to run to the front and tell me what you're going through. Uh, you can do that. We're here as a pastoral team. We love you. We'll, we'll work with you. But you, at, where you're at, God can hear you. And we can lift that up to him. And we have to do it. Here's the thing though. We have to do it together so that we are clean and ready for the Lord to move in our life and in our community. He will heal our land. Bring that sin and offer it to Jesus and he will remove it. What, what once was visible will now be invisible. We will walk out of here different because of the power of God. As the band comes, I'm gonna ask Pastor Steve to come lead us in a song. We're gonna worship God. We're gonna sing great music here this morning. And I'm gonna ask you, based on Amos, based on our pastoral heart working together, based on what Pastor Rick has been leading us through the years, that God has a, a special plan for us. Will we get serious about his truth today? Will we lift that sin that we have that is unconfessed up to him? Will we trust that Jesus will intercede for us? Will we trust by the power of the Holy Spirit that we will be free, our chains gone, liberated? Pastor Steve, will you lead us? As we gather today, we met with the true and real God and we opened his word and he spoke to us. And I'm praying that many of us dealt with the Lord because as we leave today, we leave chains, chains gone, we leave changed. And beloved congregation, family, friends, people who are gathered, I actually believe what Pastor Rick said a couple weeks ago during communion. I believe that God has a special plan and a special purpose for this church. That he is gonna do special things through this people who are calling out to him and saying, you are our real true God and we love you and we're gonna come after you. And we're gonna to listen to the word of God and we're gonna lay down our sin and we're gonna pick up our cross daily and we're gonna march as one voice wherever you lead us. If it's out on the waters, we're going. We wanna be with you, Jesus.
Let us be a church like that. Amen? Amen. I hope you have a blessed day. Your pastors will be down front if you want to speak. We love you. Amen.